Welcome back to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, episode 5. Now we're going to talk about chapter 6. Hoped to get to chapter 7 today and may drop another lecture after this one, but for now we're going to be hermetic and travel in a serpentine way along the Hogwarts Express. So, last time we stopped, Hagrid had dropped Harry off for a month to live with the Dursleys, an intermittent limbo-like stage, purgatorial in, a res- in some way, but less purgatorial in that one is not actually actively working towards the, the progression of time. Uh, the sun and the earth and their relationship do that just fine without one, but rather limbic or limbo-like because um, although progress is being made, it's not being made by Harry, and so he finds himself in a state of waiting, waiting for another month, essentially for Godot or for heaven or for that final moment to come. And so his expectation is tremendous. And so when it's coming down to time, he asks his his uh, his stepfather, his uncle, uh, Vernon Dursley, could you take me down to King's Cross in London and uh, to platform nine and three quarters? And at first, Mr. Dursley seems somewhat incredulous. He says, nine and three quarters, you say? And then he seems to get a bit of a sly grin. He seems to understand what's going on, or it seems he seems to think he understands what's happening. He thinks uh, himself maliciously, malevolently, uh, malignantly that Harry is being duped and that this is some cruel, cruel joke being played on him and he wants to be a part to it. He wants to be um, one of the people on the inside, but, well, ultimately, he will be one of the most outside characters there are. So when the joyous day comes from Harry, uh, the, the Dursleys all pile into the car saying that they had business in London anyway, and they take Harry off there and they drop him off. And as they drop him off, they laugh as they drive away because to Harry's horror, he sees that there is platform nine and there is platform ten. But where is platform nine and three quarters? In fact, he goes to ask a guard. The guard said, and the guard just mutters to him about wasting time. And so it's something interesting about this is that we notice that figures of authority do not understand the irrational element of magic or creativity. That's because these figures are blind or blinded to that which is novel or new by only being able to see that which is traditional or that which has already happened. And thus that which is creative or new either looks like nothing to them, to quote a Westworld phrase, or or they're just incapable of categorizing it. And so, um, so that which is irrational or does not fit within their their schemas of representation just gets discarded, seems irrelevant. And in fact, that seems to be a major difference between the muggles and the wizarding folk. And though we'll hear that, in fact, there are there's an entire ministry dedicated to keeping magic from the muggles, that it seems that the muggles are incapable of understanding that which is lying before their eyes. Again, like the Gospel of Thomas says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is all around us. But uh, nobody uh, can see it, but everybody fails to see it, is a paraphrase of the quote. And so now Harry finds himself in dire straits and even starts to blame Hagrid a little bit in his mind. He wonders, did Hagrid forget to tell me something? Himself voicing uh, similar doubts to McGonagall, wondering about Hagrid's competency or ability to to carry such a, a, a valuable package. Uh, Harry Potter and potentially also the alchemical stone is unclear how clued in um, that uh, 
the that McGonagall is to the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone, as it's called in the American version. And so Harry, with horror seeping in, has to adapt, has to use the logos. He has to look around and find clues if he's going to get into this place. He can't simply rely on instructions or that which has been given to him. He needs to add something himself to this equation. Sort of like how uh, a spell requires a magician with a wand in order to be embodied and enacted in the world. The spell on in a book uh, doesn't exist in the same way that a spell being cast uh, exists in reality. So while ex- uh, engaging in exploratory behavior, looking around curiously, uh, frantically, Harry sees uh, a train of redheads run by a, a plump mother called Plump because she's a figure of the great mother, uh, uh, the Mrs. Weasley, as we'll soon come to know her, with uh, her children, Ginny, who's too young to go, whose name is Ginevra, or uh, the Virgin, um, who we'll talk about in some extent in uh, the Chamber of Secrets, and will later be a major love interest of Harry's. Uh, the two uh, Ron, who will end up being his best friend, and I will make arguments uh, indicating that he should, uh, in book seven, go the way of the dodo, but does not end up doing so. Um, let's see. Also, Fred and George Weasley, a rather tragic but comic pair there. Um, they add a mischievous, peevish um, element of lightness or comic relief to the series. They're a very wonderful pair. Um, also, Percy, uh, an image of petrified um, uh, tradition or uh, privilege, um, or rather petrified authority, is himself now a prefect, and he is going along with the Weasleys. We don't, of course, learn all this now, but we will have to learn this because we will come to know the Weasley family very, very well as we go through the books. And so, Harry hears from their snippets of conversation them use the word muggle. And so from their specific language, from how they speak, their verbal expression, he can tell that they are people like he is and they are the sorts of people he should follow. And so he reaches out to the mother and asks about Platform 9 and 3 quarters and she helps him along as a figure of the great mother. She is not just mother to her own natural biological children, but to all children, as Eric Neumann would say. And so... She gives him the advice that his dead mother and his stepmother could not give him. And what is that advice? We have to take a leap of faith to move forward in life. And what does that leap of faith look like? Running your cart as fast as you can through this uh, completely solid-looking wall, which could make him look ridiculous, could injure him, could injure his new owl, could definitely injure his pride, um, and embarrass him and just be uh, the, the apex of a very, very cruel joke. But no, he's got to believe. He's got to have faith. And so he runs, 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 runs. And he goes right through and is greeted with the image of the beautiful Scarlet Engine, Hogwarts, the Hogwarts Express, leaving at 11 a.m. sharp on platform nine and three quarters. And so now on to the hog, or now on to the Scarlet Hogwarts Express. And so we get a brief introduction to characters here. On the Hogwarts Express, the very first thing we see is, or even before getting on, is that there's this character Neville with a very round face who's lost his toad. And recall that in the hierarchy of animals, Al is the top, Cat is the middle, and recall also that cats are the only 
are the only animal regularly kept by muggles and magical folk. Of course, somebody could keep an owl, I suppose, but it is generally considered a wild animal to we muggles, and very few people keep toads, though some people do keep reptiles, but even they seem to be in the tremendous minority. And so, in the hierarchy of animals you can take to school, owl at the top, that's what Harry brings. Cat in the middle, that's what Hermione will bring as she will come from a muggle family, and we'll talk about that some, how that seems to decrease her status in the eyes of some of the more traditionalist wizards, stemming all the way down to Salazar Slytherin himself and his perspective on magic and who should practice it and how it should be practiced, and then down to Toad. And so Neville is a very low-status individual, and so we notice about what, with his low status comes low status behavior. He's bungling. He's he loses his he's he doesn't have a good grasp on the situation. He he loses that which is valuable to him, but even that which is valuable to him would not be that valuable to other people because they do not necessarily want a low status signifier like a toad. And so he needs help from those around him to help pull him up because he is incapable of uh, putting himself together. And in fact, he will receive a perfect symbol of this during his time at Hogwarts uh, in terms of receiving a, 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 an item called a remember all, which will actually glow a particular color when he's forgotten something. So you can imagine that he is always filled with a sense of anxiety by the fact that he knows that he is missing something or has forgotten something that those around him have. And so we meet Neville. We see also that there are tricksters aboard this Hogwarts Express. We've heard that Fred and George will be tricksters, and they will be tricksters and jokesters, and thus spirits of mercury, mercurial, uh, those who make, those who show those around them that all is not as it seems, and in fact they go to places others do not go, and they know things others do not know, as transgressors, as Odysseus-like hero figures. In fact, they will give to uh, Harry one of his most prized uh, possessions called the Marauder's Map, which will connect him back with his father and his father's cadre of also mercurial friends, and showing us that the hero and the trickster have quite a bit in common in this text, and that breaking rules seems sometimes to be necessary uh, for further growth of character, that one cannot live a life conscribed uh, completely by rules and traditions, but that there must be a little flair. There must be, in certain aspects, uh, one must follow one's heart or do the courageous thing rather than simply the safe and the secure thing. And this is something that Fred and George will show us par excellence, um, not only on the Quidditch field but or in their jokes, but in their noble fighting when we do see them fight and a major battle yet to come. And as hermetic figures that get into things that they should not get into, it is, of course, Fred and George who first find out that Harry Potter is the Harry Potter, the famous Harry Potter. And in an interesting move of social networking and loving brotherliness, they they bring Ron, their brother, to Harry's compartment. Seeing Harry there alone, they must have understood, like his mother, like their mother does that he's alone because he knows nothing of the wizarding world and has no parents there to guide him. And so they bring their brother, Ron, who is down in the dumps because of the high expectations set for him. He has five brothers, 
all older than he is. One's name is, let's see here, Bill, who was head boy. There's Charlie, who was the captain of the Quidditch team. There's Percy now, who is a prefect. And Fred and George, they're so funny, and they get good marks, and they're on the Quidditch team. Um, and people seem to really, really, really like them. And so Ron is feeling a little uh, put under by the, the accomplishments of his brothers. But but it is his brothers, Fred and George, ask, acting in that mercurial way, that interpretive way, that linking of one world to another way, who, who first bring Ron into the compartment with Harry, potentially suggesting that consciously he wouldn't have had the initiative uh, to do it himself, but unconsciously being pushed by the forces of his brothers with greater understanding than he, uh, that, that this would be a, a wonderful connection for the both of them. And it does turn out to be. Ron it gawks at the fact that Harry is Harry and that Harry is a famous person, that he is thus in a compartment with a famous person getting to talk to him all alone, a major honor and pleasure. And Harry is just as happy to be talking to someone who grew up in a magical family and is thus the liaison himself, a hermetic figure to the magical uh, uh, world for Harry. So Harry can trade one-to-one -one knowledge of, you know, being Harry Potter, and uh, he could tell a little bit about this green flash that Voldemort that Voldemort uh, used against him that uh, when he when he defeated Voldemort so many years ago, but but he doesn't remember much else about how he defeated him and how could he? He was a baby, but Ron is a wealth of information about the Wizarding World, about their newspaper, the Daily Prophet, Gringotts, recent events. In fact, a dark wizard breaking into Gringotts is something he tells to Harry Potter. He also helps him to understand the four houses and which house that his family has been in. And he, just like Hermione Granger, who will first, who will soon meet, both both of them want to be Gryffindor because they, well, Ron has the reason that all his family was in Gryffindor. Hermione has heard that it is the best house and that, in fact, Albus Dumbledore, their current headmaster, was Gryffindor. And in fact, the idea of a griffin itself go at least going back to dante uh, is an allegory for christ as that which is dual natured both symbols of uh, a legitimate ruling authority being those which make up the hybrid griffin the the eagle and the lion and the notion of it having two natures as one is the same nature of jesus having two natures as one both human and divine all at the same time and so Gryffindor as a house represented by Scarlet or Charity or the giving of blood and sacrifice and gold, the divinity of that is in fact an archetypal representation of the ultimate heroic act of sacrifice. And in fact, the, the, um, the weapon of Gryffindors is a sword. And a sword, of course, is used by heroes in a potentially sacrificial act. And either they sacrifice themselves by dying in pursuit of uh, what they're fighting for, or they sacrifice that which they defeat. And uh, either way, they seem to be heroic, uh, though one might be called successful and one called a failure. And so Harry and Ron have much to get on about. It's about this time then that we find out that Ron's family, which Harry has perhaps misunderstood as one of the great wizarding families that the pale 
that that he has that he had heard mentioned by the pale boy uh, in Diagon Alley. And so uh, it's about this time that we learn that that Ron has a wand that's been passed down by his brother Bill with unicorn hair um, coming out of it or or a bit just sticking out of it. It's it's so old, and he has old robes um from from his other brother charlie and he has he has even a passed down animal an animal not even on the not even on the list of hierarchy of creatures and that's a rat and its name is scabbers um but we'll see with multiple references to alchemy in this chapter uh not only did dumbledore and nicholas flamel who is known to be the creator of the philosopher's stone and was himself actually a true alchemist in 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 real life uh he was known to be an alchemist like isaac newton was as well um but we'll also see that that which is seen to have no value or perceived as having limited or no value may may show itself to have uh value in the end that the stone of little worth may come to be the cornerstone as it were and scabbers may show himself to have uh uh, teeth after all at the end of this chapter and so as we are realizing that ron comes from a family that doesn't have the most money we understand now that even in all societies even a sort of heavenly magical society there seem to be issues of inequality though here the inequality doesn't seem to stem from prejudice but from the fact that uh, mr weasley is pursuing his interests as a studier of muggles and has simply had a lot of children and lots of children can be hard to outfit and feed which we learn and so at this time the food cart comes and on this food cart are not regular candies like we might expect from a grocery store but magical ones birdie bots every flavor beans Drubal's best blowing gum chocolate frogs pumpkin pasties cauldron cakes and licorice wands and all of this comes out to a well harry buys some of all of it not knowing how any of it tastes and wanting to explore he pays 11 sickles and seven canuts which i believe is 106 canuts overall which would be about a fifth of a galleon and looks over and sees that ron has had a few sort of dry corned beef sandwiches made for him and harry decides to trade and this is an interesting and a fun move by harry because we've seen that not only now have ron and harry exchanged um information to each other anomalous information to each other harry expressing his experience with voldemort and ron his with growing up with a magical family and telling about his family but now also they're sharing food with each other and what we know from primate studies is that something humans do which increases the trust between humans which has led to our higher evolutionary success than other creatures because we can work so effectively together in fact so well that we've even produced language together um is that humans unlike other primates share food and so it's very interesting that we have so many traditions and rituals that surround food all day long and generally food on a table where we don't brandish weapons at least against each other though we may have steak knives um usually that's for the steak um <laughs> and um and Harry has also expressed to Ron that he's not the only one to have worn 
uh, uh, hand-me-down clothes and gotten made fun of for that. So they have shared experience. They've shared anomalous information with each other. They're now sharing food. They're, they're, they're now sharing a bond. They're bonded. They're bonding together. They're becoming friends, and it's all being outlined here. And this seems to be a, a wonderful way to see the progression of it all. And so Ron now shares some additional information with Harry about the food they've got. Harry uh, wants to try one of the chocolate frogs, and one thing about the chocolate frogs is that they, they come with an image of a wizard. And something interesting about these images is that the pictures on them move. And so uh, the first one that Harry gets is Dumbledore, and he sees him with his half-moon glasses and a description of him. He's the current headmaster, and he's known for having for introducing or coming up with 12 uses for magic for dragon blood and for his work on alchemy with Nicholas Flamel and also for defeating a dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945 which will be the subject of the Fantastic Beasts and where to find the movie too and one thing I might say about that is of course 1945 is when the Nazis were defeated uh, in World War II and so if we consider uh, Dumbledore allegorical for like say the heroic force of the West or the Logos or God the Father and uh, Grindelwald for sort of the um, the the forces of darkness that can well up against the forces of logos, um, or or the um, so-called Axis powers, then we see that Dumbledore defeating Grindelwald at that time was like the West or or the U.S. plus Britain defeating plus all the other allies, of course, defeating. Uh, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the, and the Axis powers at that time. And so something interesting about that is that if, he, if Harry thus is the hero that is setting out to become the next version of Dumbledore, the next hero, the next defeater of evil, and you consider his first defeat of an evil wizard parallel to Dumbledore's defeat of an evil wizard, you might wonder, well, was there a major political defeat or ideological defeat between one nation and another in the 1980s? And the answer is, well, if you wait till 1990, 1991, there's the Soviet collapse. And so it's almost as if Harry might be the embodiment of the Western ideals necessary to defeat the Soviets or the sort of idea of democracy and capitalism versus uh, socialistic communism, and I understand that those words can be used differently. Um, you, you might understand Dumbledore to be, have been the forces that helped to defeat um, the Nazis and their allies in World War II. And so there are other interesting people. So uh, like we collect baseball cards in America, so do the magical folk like Ron collect the cards from chocolate frogs and some are rarer and some are more common and a few of the ones that we see mentioned are Agrippa who is probably Marcus Vipsanius Agrippa who of course won the Battle of Actium in 31 BCE against Mark Antony and Cleopatra where Cleopatra cowardly in a cowardly way out of nowhere fled forcing Mark Antony to flee a battle he was winning that was decisive to his eventual uh, loss and suicide um, uh, against Octavian uh, usurper of Rome. We have then Ptolemy, who could be one of two Ptolemies, I imagine. Ptolemy, writer of the Algamest, who very famously wrote, and that I heard in a romantic context once, that 
Ptolemy says that when you look at the stars, you order your soul. Very beautiful idea. He was a cosmologist. He wrote about the nature of the heavens, um, introducing the idea of the elliptical or the ellipsis. And so the other Ptolemy this could be could be the forebearer or the, the, um, the first ancestor of Cleopatra's line of kings in the, um, in the Egyptian dynasty. So the next person would be Morgana. Morgana, of course, is a very famous evil witch from uh, the mythology of Britannia of England. Um, she was the sister to King Arthur, who lay with King Arthur and had his son Mordred, who uh, they ended up fighting in battle and killing each other, leading to the return of Excalibur to the Lady in the Lake. We have also Merlin, who was sort of the old wise man or Dumbledore figure to Arthur. If Arthur would be Harry, then, uh, then Merlin would be Dumbledore. We have also Paracelsus, an interesting figure, because he was a real alchemist in the world, um, just like Nicholas Flamel, and was well studied by Carl Jung and the Jungian psychologist to this day. And of course, Circe is mentioned. Circe is a sea witch from the Odyssey, mentioned not only by Homer, but also by um, by Ovid in his Metamorphoses. She's known for transfiguring men into, into beasts, into pigs. And so we see an idea of transfiguration um, uh, being very old there. And so it's about this time we also find out that Bertie... Birdie's beans, or Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans, are truly every flavor. And so they, like Platform 9 and 3 quarters, like the three uh, three bricks up, two bricks over, um, are, are irrational. Or there is, some, there is more than what it seems to Birdie's Beans. So when we think of a candy that says it has every flavor, we think of every acceptable possible flavor of candy. That idea needs to be thrown out the window with Birdie's Beans. The flavors can be anything. They could be, say, um, spinach, or or liver, or tripe, or even uh, the twins have claimed a booger, a booger flavor. We'll, we'll even have a pepper flavor in there. So it's not just chocolate and vanilla and strawberry here. And so there's a symbol here um, the for the entire magical world and that all that is unexpected all that is anomalous when everything means everything it means that it means that whenever you open a bag of birdie bots beans your idea of what everything is is going to be expanded and so you're always taking a risk like a heroic a heroic exploratory risk when you eat one of those beans because you simply have no idea what it could be and you can't tell just by looking at it either and so about this time we get neville showing up looking for his toad but now accompanied by a highly competent individual and so just as he's a sort of low competency uh individual which we see immediately through his incapacity to maintain his own items and he's the only person we see represented in this way uh, we get a high-competency individual. And something interesting is she's both a girl and comes from muggle family, a muggle family. And she's helping a boy here. And her name is Hermione, and her parents are dentists, muggles, which will be used against her by a young, blonde-haired Slytherin at some point, though she will be uh, the most talented witch of her age. And so what we learn about her is that she's bossy, eager to learn, has... Um, 
effectively used magic whenever she has practiced it. Though we find out that young wizards and witches are not supposed to practice wet magic outside of Hogwarts or in the Hogwarts staircases or outside of classes. They have very strict limitations on using magic. And so something interesting about this Hermione, perhaps prefiguring the fact that she may be friend to Harry Potter and Ron Weasley, is that she seems to have no mind for... She does not seem to respect the rules completely either, though one might expect that she does. Something more important about her, though, than even um, upholding the rules, and sh she will uh, admonish the boys for getting... Uh, for almost getting in trouble before they even got to school, is that she, like Diomedes from the Iliad, shows uh, how competency shoots one up a dominance hierarchy. And so she's always ahead of the game. She's already read all the books. She's committed the books to memory. She's thrown, um, she's already put her robes on before anybody else. And she's already helping out those less fortunate than her, which she'll later do with Hagrid during a major trial as well. And so she does everything that is necessary to catch her up and push her past all those around her. She is a model of excellence. And, uh, and also uh, sometimes the personality that goes along with those sorts of qualities, because she can be bossy and somewhat tone deaf at times, which makes uh, which can make it hard for her to make friends, though she will eventually. And so we have a couple prefigurations in this very beginning too, of um, a potential relationship or love interest between uh, the young Hermione and Ron Weasley. One thing is that he attempts to impress them all by uh, doing magic. He he thought to do the magic before Hermione showed up, but she does, and he continues with it. And it's an attempt to turn his his. Uh, rat yellow and so here goes the um the spell which of course he received from the twins and thus of course will not work it is sunshine daisies butter mellow turn this stupid fat rat yellow he waved his wand and nothing happened and so utterly unimpressive that's when hermione pipes in and says that all the magic she's tried has worked <laughs> so she's highly competent more competent than ron even though he grew up in a wizarding family, and there's such high expectations of him. The next thing, too, is she'll mention that he has a black mark on his nose later, showing that she is capable. And sort of that sort of romantic young way of pointing out the flaws of somebody in order to attract their attention to you and to show them that you have given them attention. Um, and uh, one of the easiest ways to... Uh, to express attention shown to someone else is to notice their flaws because, of course, who doesn't have them? And uh, in Ron's case, he's got just as many, if not more, than all of us. After Hermione and Neville then leave in order to uh, continue the search for Trevor the Toad, we have Draco Malfoy enter with his two already henchmen, Crab and Goyle, who look big and pudgy. And so they've, uh, they've been indulged by their parents in every way and have a sense of unearned satisfaction and accomplishment. And so it's at this time that Draco drops some, uh, some what he thinks are knowledge bombs on Harry Potter. He says, are you Harry Potter? Imperiously. And you know, you'll know that you, there are certain sorts of wizards that you want to hang about and certain sorts of wizards you don't. Uh, and the idea here being that Draco comes from a family of great means. Something I recently looked up on the official um, information about Harry Potter is that, in fact, um, Draco Malfoy's family first came into prominence through helping William the Conqueror, ostensibly through magical means, 
um, Armand Malfoy in, in order to receive his um, his title which and land which he maintained in luxury for over 900 years, or his family rather. And so the Malfoys have been connected to power the entire time they've been in Britain, and they, they got that power first by doing favors, possibly in an immoral and illegitimate way, um, using uh, I- illegal magic for the use of muggles. And so that tells you essentially what you'll need to know about Malfoy, that he has he has great position but potentially corrupt moral fabric, and potentially it will be the opposite case for Ron and the Weasleys, that he has great uh, talent and potential and great moral fabric, but not necessarily great position in the world as indicated by the things which he possesses. And so after Draco reminds Harry when Harry says, I think I can make up my own mind, I can make my own decisions, and Draco essentially tells him to watch his mouth and to be more polite, uh, it's at this time that the three, these, tr- these tr- w- will-be Slytherins, these um, ambitious, young, self-satisfied individuals who have everything, attempt to rob Harry and Ron. And it is at this moment precisely that Scabbers shows his worth because all of a sudden one of Draco's henchmen screeches and Scabbers is hanging off the end of his finger and he waves his fingers around and around and what you might imagine is a very hilarious spectacle until he throws Scabbers off from his finger. It is... They then hustle out, and it is very soon after that Hermione shows back up to again say, you all better get on your robes, and then admonishes them for almost getting into trouble, and, well, of course to tell Ron that he's got some dirt on his nose. And so, one way that we might want to perceive Malfoy contrast to Harry is the same way that Cain is contrasted to Abel in the Old Testament, or the son slash Jesus to uh, uh, Lucifer or the devil as Milton portrays them as well, the dark brother. Um, and so we'll get into that ad infinitum later. So Hagrid, or rather the train comes to a stop and Hagrid gets on with his specific Scottish seeming dialect and says talk to all the first years that they need to get off and that they need to file into boats. And on these boats, there are four of them allowed. And again, that idea of four, four balls in Quidditch, four houses, four to a boat. I will also see the idea of three and five very soon because there will be five to a room on four poster beds. And after Hagrid takes them underneath the underbelly of the castle so those first years have to start in darkness in order to arise into light have to start at the bottom in order to rise to the top through their own efforts um an an idea not only of of growth in a, a human but in a human population but also in the idea of an education that one must through conscious effort through will draw oneself up out of the darkness of ignorance, sort of like Boba Fett uh, escaping the Sarlacc pit himself through his own will to survive from Star Wars Return of the Jedi in, I suppose, what might be called the good old days now. And so the first years have now reached the underbelly of the castle, and on a great door, Hagrid knocks once, twice, and three times. We'll have chapter 7 out to you soon.
Goodbye.